a moment if you want to get your last drips of coffee. What kind of quiz? A snap. A snap? Oh. At first I thought you said a snack quiz. <laughs> yeah. As long as we get snacks with the quiz. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. All right, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started here. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that uh, this morning we can gather together. We thank you for the gift of your word in which you uh, reveal yourself, in which you reveal uh, ourselves, and you reveal the only way that we could be reconciled through faith in Christ alone. We pray, Father, uh, that as we look at the topic of saving faith this morning, that you would help us to think rightly about it, that we would think about it in such a way that uh, you get all the glory, that we increase in our gratitude towards you, and we are better able to praise you in light of uh, your amazing grace towards us. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. This morning we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 14 of uh, the Confession. It's on saving faith. Uh, two weeks ago we looked at the topic of justification. And we saw that uh, we are justified, we are declared righteous through faith in Christ alone. That in Christ uh, we not only have our sins forgiven, but we have his record of righteousness uh, as ours. And so we're able to uh, approach God freely uh, because of that position that we have in Christ. Last week we looked at the topic of sanctification, uh, which is a result of our justification, a result of us being united to Christ through faith, that God works in us to conform us into the image of Christ, that he does that by the power of his spirit. And just as we are justified uh, through faith, we are actually uh, sanctified through that means as well, a growing faith uh, in Christ that uh, through that God conforms us into the image of Christ. And so today we're going to transition and again look at the topic of saving faith. We're going to look at uh, questions, uh, where does faith come from? We're going to look at what does saving faith do? We're going to look at uh, different types of faith. And so uh, it's a big topic and hopefully we'll get through it today. Before I forget, uh, next week we're going to have a Q&A session. So if you have any questions or if there's questions that you, you've had uh, going 
through the confession the past couple months, make sure to jot those down and um, come next Sunday with them because uh, we'll have a whole time just to take questions. All right, let's look at the first uh, paragraph of the confession. Our starting question is, where does faith come from? The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed of God, it is increased and strengthened. So first, uh, some we're going to uh, sort of uh, divide this up, look at the different statements here. The first thing that we see in this paragraph is that the source of saving faith is the work of the Holy Spirit. The source of saving faith is the work of the Holy Spirit. We could say more broadly it's the work of God. Uh, some of these passages uh, will show us. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, well-known passage For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We've talked about before how this idea, this statement that it is a gift of God is talking about uh, the whole package, the salvation including uh, the faith that we're saved through. And so it's a, it's a grace of faith, as the confession puts it. It's, it's, a, it's a gift of God that God has actually given us uh, this faith in which we exercise uh, in Christ. Acts chapter 18, verses 27 through 28, we read, and, we, and, when we, sorry, and when he wished to cross to Acacia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived... He greatly helped those who through grace had, been, had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is talking about Apollos, and we see that he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. What was the source of their belief? What uh, accomplished that belief in them? It was through grace. It's a gift that was granted uh, to those who believed. John chapter 3. Now we're going to look more at a passage that talks about the work of the Spirit in this grace of faith. Jesus answered him. He's talking to Nicodemus. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what comes first? Being born again or seeing the kingdom of God? Being born again, you can't even see the kingdom unless you've been born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is thinking Jesus is talking about a physical birth, not a spiritual birth here. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So not only uh, can he not see the kingdom of God before he is born again, but he cannot enter the kingdom of God before he is born of the Spirit. That the Spirit is uh, the person of the Trinity who is referred to in this act of being born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Uh, 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with every, everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so uh, there is a correlation, there's a connection uh, that we understand between being born again and exercising faith in Christ. That you can't even enter the kingdom, you can't even see the kingdom without being born again. And, and certainly the act of entering into the kingdom and, and seeing the kingdom is an act of faith. And that can't happen before the Spirit works in us to cause us to be born again. So there's, there's a, a, the, the, the idea of this grace of faith of us being able to uh, want to actually place our faith in, in Christ is a work of the Spirit uh, causing us to be born again first. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. So a person uh, cannot even understand or uh, accept the things of the Spirit of God until they become a spiritual person, until they, again, are born again by the Spirit. And so this saving faith... Where does it come from? Well, first of all, we, we want to say uh, God more broadly, but we could specifically say uh, the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's work in us to cause us to be born again so that we can see the kingdom, so that we can enter the kingdom, so that we actually understand the things of God and so that we will uh, exercise faith in Christ. Just as a side note, you know, these passages talk about the Spirit uh, uh, being involved in being born again, but we don't want to forget that we have a triune God, so everything that God does, He does as a triune God. Um, we're going to see later the passage that talks about Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith, and so we could uh, even attribute, attribute this uh, work uh, to Christ as well. Uh, but uh, for our uh, purposes here, we're, we're looking at the work of the Spirit. So you have the, the source of saving faith. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, how does he produce that faith? How does he work that faith into a person? How does he cause someone to be born again? What, what are the means that the Spirit uses? Well, we see that the Spirit of God ordinarily uh, produces faith in a believer, uh, in, a, in a person, by the ministry of the word. As a side note, the confession says ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word, uh, most likely because of, as we saw before, the, the category the confession gives of the possibility of elect infants. That, uh, that if there are indeed elect infants, uh, they would not have saving faith through the ministry of the word. Uh, that, that would have to be a means, another means that God uses to work faith uh, in them. And so that's why it says ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word. Um, some verses where we see uh, this idea, the importance of the ministry of the word in, in uh, bringing about saving faith. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. Paul writes, How then will they call on him 
whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So how, how is a person supposed to uh, be saved if they've never heard this message? How are they to call on the person uh, in whom they haven't believed? And how are they to believe in a person that they've never heard of? And how are they to, to hear of this person of Christ unless someone preaches Christ to them? Verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so God, he doesn't uh, just, he could just instantaneously, without any means, produce faith in a person. But ordinarily, God works through means. He works through an order that he has created, and the, ordinarily, the ordinary way that God saves sinners, the ordinary way that God produces faith uh, in a person is through the ministry of the Word, the, ho- the work of the Holy Spirit using the ministry of the Word as a means. And so, though we believe in God's uh, sovereignty over salvation, though we believe it's a grace of God that produces faith in a person, we also believe that we have a responsibility to preach Christ because we should never expect that someone would be saved apart from the proclamation of the gospel because that's the, the thing that the Spirit uses uh, to produce faith in Christ. And so, again, as we see time and time again, we have uh, both God's sovereignty and human responsibility hand in hand without there being any contradiction. It's a grace of God that uh, faith is produced in a person and it's a grace of God that God uses fallible human beings such as us who seek to proclaim the gospel and it's our, actually our responsibility to proclaim the gospel. We shouldn't expect anybody to be saved apart from the proclamation of the gospel. And so... Again, the source of saving faith, it's the work of the Holy Spirit using the ministry of the Word. We also see in in this paragraph the confession that saving faith increases and grows. So the second part of that paragraph, by which also, and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed of God, it is increased and strengthened. That saving faith, that faith that initially brought us uh, to salvation, that faith increases and grows. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So we have an instance here uh, of uh, Paul uh, witnessing the fact that the faith of the believers in Thessalonica is is growing. And we see that even in the narrative uh, sections of the Old Testament. If you look at Abraham, there's a development of his faith as his life goes on. And we see that even in in our own Christian walk, that uh, our faith... uh, has grown since we first believed. 
That it's the same faith, the same faith that looks to Christ, and yet it is a growing faith. It's a faith that is increasing. Though it does have times where it diminishes or uh, is weak, as we'll see later, but overall it's increasing and growing. Well, how does this faith increase and grow? How does this faith increase and grow? It's through the ministry of the Word. The same means that God uses to bring about saving faith is how that faith grows. Uh, We'll also see it's through the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed of God. And so uh, we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see the early church devoting themselves to these very things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In our context, that would be the teaching of the word because we don't have the apostles around anymore, but we do have the apostles' teaching in Scripture. And the fellowship, that's the assembly of, of the church together under the teaching of God's word. To the breaking of bread, it's a reference to communion. And the prayers, we pray together. This is what the early church devoted themselves to. These are the very things that God commands us to do. And they're the very things that we have confidence that God will use to build his church. That God doesn't command things just because. That God is a good father, and if he commands the church to do these things, it's for our good. It's for the strengthening of our faith. Uh, We see... Uh, these things and other passages, Acts chapter 20, verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of his grace is able to build you up. God's word, the proclamation of it, is able to build us up. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Baptism is this picture of of this reality that we have been united with Christ that as we go into the waters we're reminded that we have been baptized into his death that his death is our death and so the old man the the sinful Stephen has died with Christ it's a reminder of these realities that I can't see that that old man is actually dead dead in the ground that's not who I am anymore and as we raised out of the waters, it's a a picture of us, our union with Christ in his resurrection. That Christ not only died, he not only stood in our place, he not only died as Stephen, as it were, on the cross, but he rose from from the grave and because I'm united with him through faith, his new life is my new life. His, His resurrection life and the power of it is my life so that I might walk in newness of life. Baptism strengthens our faith. That, that picture that is showing us the realities of what Christ has already done and accomplished. And so that, that strengthens our faith. And even as we watch other people uh, be baptized, that strengthens our faith. That God is still saving sinners. That we're reminded of that reality. That Christ is building his church. And the gates of hell won't 
prevail against it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 24. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion is also uh, something that strengthens our faith. That we look at the bread and, and the wine and, and they remind us of realities. That I'm communing with Christ, that his body was actually broken for me. His blood was spilt for me, that my sin has been atoned for, it's been paid for, that I've been washed cleansed, uh, uh, clean from the filth of my sin. That strengthens my faith as I partake of communion. I'm, in a sense, partaking of Christ and, and what he has accomplished for me. And that builds our faith. It builds our faith. In the Matthew chapter 7, verses 8 through 11 For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? As we come before God in prayer, we're reminded of of realities that we are utterly dependent on God. And we exercise faith in God as we cry out to him that he is a good father who loves to give good gifts. And he won't give us uh, stones if we ask for bread. I've said before, the things that he gives us might look like stones. But we know it's bread. We know it's good for us. And when we uh, come before him and we pray, we're, our faith is being strengthened as we look to him. And, and when we see over time prayers answered, maybe not in the way that we would have chosen, but we see God's wisdom in the way that he answers our prayers, it strengthens our faith. It strengthens our faith in him. And so God uses those means to strengthen our faith. He uses other things. Uh, He uses the examples of other saints that can strengthen our faith as we see them go through hard things and uh, God carry them through through it. He can strengthen our faith uh, through suffering. We see that uh, testimony in Scripture that God's purposes, uh, one of his purposes for suffering is actually that it would strengthen our faith. And so there's other things as well that God uses uh, to strengthen our faith, to grow it. Well, what does saving faith do? What does saving faith do? This brings us to the next paragraph. By this faith, a Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God himself and also apprehends an excellency therein above all other writings and all other things in the world as it bears forth the glory of God and his attributes the excellency of Christ in his nature and offices, and the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit in his workings and operations, and so is enabled to cast his soul upon the truth thus believed, and also acts differently upon that which each particular passage thereof contains, 
yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon Him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Semicolons are a great way to make what would have been five sentences one, isn't it? That's all one sentence. <laughs> I need to take a drink here. There's a lot in, in there. Um, but primarily, some of the things that we see, and we'll look at the biblical testimony to this. We recognize that this confession is not the word of God, that it may err, that our convictions must come from the word of God. Uh, but we have this idea of a distinction of general faith general faith and uh, what has been called special faith the first part of that I almost said paragraph I mean first part of that sentence uh, is talking about general faith that uh, general faith believes, trusts, and responds to the truth of biblical revelation. All of it. The Word of God. What did I say? Believes, responds, trusts. Yeah, believes, trusts. So it's general in the fact that it's looking at the, the Bible more broadly that faith understands that this is God's word and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to respond to it. That this is the very word of God speaking to me. And so if God uh, makes a promise, general faith responds by believing that promise. If God makes a command. General faith responds to that command in obedience. If, uh, if God's word, what's the other category he has? If God's word has a threat in here, we, faith responds in trembling at that threat. That faith responds appropriately to the different aspects of God's word, in other words. And all because that we recognize that the Bible is God's word. It's authoritative. That this is the very word of God, and I believe it. And a belief, um, a belief, a true belief will respond to that. A true faith in God's word as God's word will respond to that and trust in that. The other category, and we'll get, talk about this more in, here in a moment, we'll look at scripture passages, is, is special faith. That as we look at this category, we recognize that though um, we're talking about faith in God's word as God's word, that we're not saved through faith in God's word broadly. Right? Saving faith has an object that saves us. What is that object that saves us? Christ. Right? So, believes, uh, 
might say rest in Christ alone for salvation. That's the, uh, if we're talking about what saving faith is specifically, this is what we would tell people, right? That you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. That's the object of our faith, his, his life, his death, his resurrection. At the same time, these two dis, dis, uh, aspects of faith are inseparable. They're inseparable. That you don't have someone who, someone who maybe says, yes, I believe in Christ and I put my faith in Christ and yet that's not really God's word. That person doesn't exist. The two are inseparable. The person who has put their faith in Christ hears the voice of Christ in his word and believes it. Okay? The person who says, I believe uh, in God's word is God's word and yet doesn't believe in Christ alone for salvation doesn't really believe in God's word is God's word. So some examples uh, of these uh, things. You have the Mormons. That's the easy example, right? They, they say, yeah, we believe in this. We believe that this is God's word. But do they? No, they don't. Because they, they don't put their faith in Christ alone as, uh, as uh, the object of their salvation. And so I wouldn't necessarily say that to a Mormon right off the bat. <laughs> but we know as we're talking with Mormons that they really don't have a faith in this as God's word because they're not responding to it uh, the way that they ought to. There have also been those uh, throughout history who have tried to get rid of portions of God's word. I say, oh yeah, I believe in Christ alone and yet uh, you have Marcion uh, in the early church who uh, thought that anything basically that was Jewish in the Bible needed to get, be uh, gotten rid of, which leaves you with a pretty skim Bible, and he wasn't even really consistent with that. Well, if he, if he doesn't hear the voice of God in these 66 books, that's a big red flag. That, that he's not really believing and resting in Christ alone. You have, I believe it was Thomas Jefferson uh, who had his own Bible. And what he would do is he would just cross out the things that he didn't like or cut them out. Is that, is that the response of someone who believes rests and rests in Christ alone for salvation? No. These two things are inseparable. You have uh, even more in the modern era, you have those who are, are very uh, famous, uh, well-known pastors who talk about unhitching the Old Testament from the Bible. Because that's not really a Christian, that's not really a Christian book. We just need the New Testament. The Old Testament is a Christian book. The whole Bible is a Christian book. The whole Bible is God's word spoken to us. And so in my mind, that's a big red flag if someone's talking about unhitching the Old Testament from the Bible. Uh, you also had uh, recently, the, they were known as the Red Letter Christians. And they said, well, we just believe the red letters. 
you know, if you have a red letter Bible, the words of Jesus. And they pitted Jesus' words against Paul's words. And, well, we, we, we believe in what Jesus said. Well, I'll tell you what, this is what Jesus said. All 66 books, every word in here is the word of Christ. And so again, that's a big red flag whenever someone is talking about uh, getting rid of something in the Bible. These, the, these two go hand in hand. Now, uh, is there room for sanctification? Yeah. Um, you know, when I, uh, er, early in my uh, Christian life, I didn't see a problem with abortion. Okay. But did God sanctify me in that area? Yes. I became convinced that this is what God's word says in, in, in relationship to life and conception and all those things. And this was the authority that changed my mind. Because I recognize this is what God's word says. I need to respond to that. Is there room for people who maybe misinterpret passages? Yes. But there is no room for someone who says that uh, the Bible is not the ultimate authority, that God's word is not the authority that determines the matter. That's, that's where we start getting into some real problems uh, because it would seem that they're not recognizing God's word as God's word. And these two things go hand in hand. And so let's look at that in Scripture. Uh, general faith hears the voice of God in Scripture, believes, trusts, and responds appropriately. Uh, first of all, 2 Timothy 3.16, well-known verse, all Scripture is breathed out by God, including the Old Testament. That's the primary Scripture that they're working with at this time. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The whole of this is God's Word, not just the red letters, not just the New Testament, not just the parts that we like, all Scripture is God's word. Uh, John chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus tells uh, this group, he says, you don't believe. Why don't they believe? Because you're not among my sheep. In contrast, my sheep hear my voice. They hear the voice of their creator, of their savior. And I know them and they follow me. And so everyone who is Christ's sheep hears the voice of Christ. Here's the voice of Christ in this book. And Christ's sheep follow him. They recognize that this is the voice of my creator, of my sustainer, of my savior. And so when someone, as, as it were, doesn't hear the voice of Christ in the Old Testament, that should raise the question, are they Christ's sheep? Because Christ's sheep hear his voice. They follow him. So there's, there's a link between uh, faith that rests in Christ alone and the faith that uh, accepts this as the authoritative word of God. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 25. 
You know, Jesus says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He, he um, uh, calls them out. He calls them foolish. Why? Because they don't believe all that the prophets have spoken. They have a responsibility to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Not just this part or that part or not just what Ezra said. All what the prophets have spoken. John chapter 5 verses 39 through 47. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He's, he's Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is saying, if you believe Moses, if you really believed Moses, what Moses said, you would believe me. There's a connection. Moses is talking about Christ. And so if you really believed in what Moses said, you would believe in Christ. John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 24, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony of God that, uh, that God has borne concerning his Son. And so the person who believes in the Son of God believes in the testimony of God concerning his Son. This whole book is the testimony of God concerning his son. And so if we don't believe in parts of it, there's, there's a relationship to our uh, connection to uh, a disbelief in the real uh, living Christ. We also see, uh, so that's general faith. We did talk about special faith, but special faith has Christ as its object. We accept, receive, and rest upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life. That when we're talking about saving faith and the object of our faith again, we don't say broadly, believe in God's word and you will be saved. Though we should believe in God's word. We believe in the Christ that God's word uh, testifies to. That Christ is the object of our salvation. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 29 through 31, we'll see a couple passages where Christ is the object of our faith for salvation. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They didn't have to read the entire Old Testament to come to saving faith. The object of our saving faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, we see the object of uh, our faith for salvation is Christ. We rest in him uh, to be saved. And so I think this, this distinction is helpful um, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, you know, just practically is discernment uh, for Bible teachers. That if a Bible teacher is talking about unhitching the Old Testament, that's run away. Run away. That we believe that this entire book is God's word and Christ's sheep believe that this entire book is God's word and authoritative. Let's continue on to the third paragraph. This faith, although it be different in degrees and may be weak or strong, yet it is in the least degree of it different in the kind of nature of it, as is all other saving grace from the faith and common grace of temporary believers. And therefore, though it may be many times assailed and weakened, yet it gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, first thing we, we see in this paragraph is that saving faith has degrees of strength. That there are those who are saved who have weak faith. Praise God. That our salvation is not dependent on the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith. And so, you know, we give the, the illustration for what faith looks like, and uh, it's a very helpful illustration, I think, is just sitting in a chair, right? And having your legs up and your hands up, you're resting completely, I'm resting completely, in this stool to hold me up. I'm putting my faith that this chair is able to hold me up. Now, if I'm going like this, and I'm flailing around and I'm freaking out a little bit, but I'm still resting in this stool, is, am I still putting my faith in this stool? Maybe a weak faith, but I, I'm not putting my feet on the ground. Right? And so um, someone might have a weak faith where they're flailing and, and kicking their feet, but they're still resting in Christ. And that's different from someone who maybe is not kicking and flailing, but has their feet on the ground right now. So that if the stool were to be removed, they still would be resting in their feet instead of the stool. And so there are degrees of faith. Um, and this is very pastoral because there are those who struggle with that, who, who see the weakness of their faith and, and wonder, am I really saved? And we're able to say, if the object of your faith is Christ, even if your, your faith is weak, you are saved. Because we're not saved, again, by the strength of our faith, but the strength of our Savior, who is Christ Jesus. And so there is a category of those who struggle with a weak faith. Matthew chapter 6, 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus even uh, says of his disciples here and other places, they have little faith, but it's still faith. Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 20 is talking about Abraham. 
He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Here we see that Abraham uh, grew in his faith. And in this passage, it just keeps talking about the strength of Abraham's faith, but those of us who are acquainted with Abraham can't help but think of the times where he had very weak faith. The times that he went down into Egypt. The times that he lied about his wife. And so even in the life of Abraham, even though he had a growing faith, even though at this point the, uh, that Paul is able to say he had a strong faith, we also know along that way he had weak faith at times. In that that did not, um, that, those moments of weak faith did not cause the promises of God to be in jeopardy. Did not cause Abraham's salvation to be lost. Even when he had weak faith, he had a strong Savior. The weakest faith, next point here, the weakest faith is still in the category of saving faith, yet different from temporary believers as the confession calls them, that uh, we probably have all known people who at one time seem to have made a credible profession of faith and yet are not continuing to walk with the Lord. And that faith, whatever faith that was, was not a saving faith. It was a, uh, we'll see here in the passage of the sower, it was, it was not a true faith in Christ. And so the person who has the weakest faith in Christ, that faith is in a different category than the faith that those may exercise for a time that isn't truly saving faith. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 1, uh, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter has in, in his mind a category of faith that the believers that he's addressing to, their faith is in that same category as his. That it's, it's the faith in equal standing with his. Not that it has the same strength, but that it's a saving faith. It's in that same category. Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 23. This is the parable of the sower that, that Jesus uh, discusses. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. And so we have these, these different responses to the word of God proclaimed to different people. There is the category of a person who um, 
uh, hears the word but doesn't understand it. And the evil one snatches that away from him. There are people who, who think that they have believed in the gospel, but they don't really understand the gospel. They may think the gospel is you must uh, walk the aisle to be saved. It's not the gospel. There are people who might think that the gospel is you need to live a good life. And it's not the gospel. And so they may believe, think they believe in the gospel, but they don't actually understand the gospel, and they haven't really put their faith in Christ. You also have the category of a person who hears the word and receives it with joy, but when struggles come, when suffering happens, he falls away. It doesn't actually end up producing any fruit. You have the category of a person who hears the word, but the cares of the world uh, choke out the word. It proves unfruitful. All of these people so far, have they borne any real fruit? No. Right? And so they haven't actually uh, put their faith in Christ, as we talked about with justification. Those who put their faith in Christ will produce fruit. Will produce fruit. And then you have the the seed that was sown on the good soil. And does all of that seed bear the same amount of fruit? No. But do they all produce fruit? Yes. And so you have those who produce a hundredfold fruit. You have those who produce 60 and some who produce 30. But, but all of them are in the same category in that they all are producing fruit. They all have saving faith. Now, just as a side note, what do we do with someone who may be doubting? Do I have saving faith? You share the gospel with them. You point them to Christ and say, look to Christ. Rest in Christ. And that's something uh, that all of us do daily. We look to Christ and we find assurance in Christ. We don't look uh, to our, uh, the strength of our faith to figure out if we're saved or not. We don't primarily look to the amount of fruit we've produced in order to know if we're saved or not. The thing we look to is Christ. Is Christ a strong enough Savior to save me? Yes. Yes, He is. That's where our saving faith comes from. Though at times, next point here, though at times we may have weak faith, yet it gets the victory. There are times in the Christian walk where we do have may have weak faith. But in the end, it's going to get the victory. First John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Praise God for that. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we have this hope that though we may have times of weak faith, that weak faith we'll get the victory. We have a hope that God will strengthen our faith, that God will increase our faith, and we have the hope that our salvation is not dependent on the strength of our faith. It's dependent on Christ, who will ultimately overcome the world. We also see that this faith may grow into full assurance through Christ. Now, Assurance, a, a true assurance of salvation is something that we should all desire and desire for one another, but not everybody enjoys that uh, in this life. But this is something that we desire for each other. 
which is very different from um, Roman Catholicism, for instance, which says if you give someone full assurance that they're saved, then what's going to cause them to want to do any good works? We actually say, well, no, the strength of our, the, the, our faith and, and the more that we increase in our strength and in our faith in Christ, the more that we're resting in him, that actually will produce more and more fruit. And so we, we desire that we would have full assurance that, that, that we are fully assured of our salvation through Christ. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise, promises. Uh, Paul's desire, or the writer of Hebrews desires that they would have full assurance of hope in order that they would not be sluggish. That that assurance actually produces uh, good works in them more and more. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. This is what Paul desires for those at Laodicea. He desires that they would have the riches of full assurance in Christ. And so we pray, for, we pray, it's good to pray that for each other and for ourselves that we would be fully assured of our salvation in Christ. And then lastly, uh, the last line of that paragraph is uh, a quote uh, from the King James uh, uh, to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ who is both the author and finisher of our faith and the ESV uh, translates it looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God that that again we're being reminded that the 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 source of this faith the one that's going to perfect this faith and mature this faith is not ultimately me It's Christ. It's God's work in me. And so, though we devote ourselves to the means that God has given us, to uh, sitting under the proclamation of God's word, to the Lord's Supper, to baptism, to assembling together as the body of Christ, as we devote ourselves to those means, we recognize that it is ultimately God's work using those means to uh, who started our faith and who is now perfecting our faith. It's God's work. We're dependent on, on him to do that. And so um, I got three minutes. Any, any questions on that? Was that a lot? Yeah. That's why you have notes. <laughs> okay, well, uh, let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace that we recognize that our salvation is from you from beginning to end, that it is your work in us through the proclamation of your word to work in us faith, to work in us faith in Christ that, 
though we recognize we did make a choice that we, we chose to rest in Christ, that we also recognize behind that, that 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 was your sovereign work in us, that you get all the glory for it. Lord, we recognize as well that we are dependent on you to strengthen and, and increase our faith, and we ask that you would do so, that uh, we believe, but so often we need help for our unbelief. We pray, Father, that you would help us to look to Christ and, and find full assurance of salvation in him, that we would see the strength of Christ to save, that we would see the glory of Christ who does save. We thank you that you don't just make salvation possible, but that you accomplish it from beginning to end. And so as we at times struggle with a weak faith, we pray that you would help us to look to you, that you are indeed mighty to save even the weakest of sinners. We pray, Father, that this growing faith would uh, work in us more fruitfulness, that as we more and more rest in Christ, as we more and more see your grace in Christ, that we would mo be motivated to uh, work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we know all the while that it is you who works in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure. We pray, Father, for anyone in here who, who struggles with these things, who struggles with assurance that you would give them full assurance in Christ. And we pray for those uh, who we know who may have a false assurance, who think that because they raised their hand or did a thing or checked off a box that they are saved. Though they reject uh, the totality of your word, I pray that you would convict them of their sin and see that salvation is in Christ alone, not in the action of raising a hand or walking an aisle, but it's through faith in Christ that they must be saved. And Father, as we uh, devote ourselves to your word this morning, as we sit under, under the preaching of it, as we pray together and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together, we pray that you would use these simple things to build your church. Help us to be engaged in them. Help us to not be passive, but uh, to uh, set our mind on you and the wonderful things that you have done for us and the wonderful promises that you've given us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just a reminder, next week, Q&A, have questions or else I'll start asking you questions.